lit. And once again, we back with another episode of Lit Podcast. And I got my boy Peanut in the building. You know what I'm saying? You know how we do it. You know what I'm saying? We honor our artists, our producers, our promoters, our DJs, and everything that got to do with music. You know what I'm saying? Coming out the Triple D. Man, if you don't know about it, man, tell the world about you, man. This Peanut. I am DJ Peanut, otherwise known as Peanut the Producer Extraordinaire, Campus Kings DJ Peanut, um, aka Payday. Got a lot of little aliases that I've accumulated over the years. Been in the uh, been in the game since the late '90s. Been heavy in the Dallas game since like late '90s, early 2000s. Um, pretty much everything that happens in this city, I got some piece of it, some part of it. Whether it is from producing, engineering manufacturing, distribution, uh, management, brokerage, uh, art design. Like I got my hands in a little bit of everything. So tell us, okay, I see distribution, art design, and producing. Okay, let's talk about the production. Who, who you done produce for? Like, Well, I started out um, in 94. And okay. um, that was when I was fresh out of high school. And uh, everybody in Arlington, I'm from, I live in Arlington, Ag Town, to the most. Ag Town. Um, as a matter of fact, me and my crew, we were the ones who originated that term, um, aggravated lifestyles. Um, there was a bunch of us out there that wanted to do music, but at that time, there weren't very many plugs at all. The city was really fresh, and um, there were only a couple of artists that were out doing things and we didn't have any guidance, we didn't have anybody to show us the way, so we just all in the city clicked up and uh, kind of did our own thing. You know, I was uh, one of the cats that didn't feel that my rap skills were tight, so I started grabbing equipment. Um, I started DJing first, because, you know, when you're young, you catch your uh, inspirations, and at that time, Rap City and um, Young TV Raps and stuff like that was the big thing as far as getting the music. So you sit down, you look at the videos, and you always see that guy in the background with the turntable. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's the dude that makes the music. All right. So I went and got the turntables and learned how to DJ. Mm -hmm. And as time went on, I realized that I had limitations with just looping records, right, <laughs> making right. beats. And I'm like, okay, so there's another stage to it. Then a cat of mine uh, hit me up. He was like, man, you ain't got no sample or a drum machine. I'm like a sample and a drum machine? What the fuck is that? Right. So I go to Guitar Center and. Um, Dude showed me an ASR-10, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get that. So I get the ASR-10, bring it home, link it up with my uh, turntables, and just start knocking out beats. It was uh, me and my partner, Cho, and uh, we produced everybody out of Arlington. At the time, everybody was Who was around at that time? It was, uh, it was um, Chocolate City, Apatomid, So What. Um, we were doing work with cats in Dallas. It was a click called IGP. Okay. Mad Flavor was the main group out of IGP. They had gotten a deal with uh, Priority. Okay. So what they were doing, where they were bringing people to Deep Ellum at the time. Right. There was a club called Exodus. Exodus. And um, they were bringing through everybody major at that point in time. It was like Gangstar came through. Uh -huh. uh, um, uh, who was the other one? Uh, Child Called Quest came through. Uh, Mad Lion. Um, uh, Fush Nickens, like everybody that was hot at that time, uh, uh, um, Souls of Mischief, okay. everybody that was hot at that time, IGP was bringing in. It was a uh, promoter named K-San, and he was like the head of IGP. And um, 
we would go to him and be like, yo, put us on, put us on, let's get shows, let's get shows. So while we were doing that, they started recognizing that we had something different in the way of production. Like our, right. our stuff sounded different than what they had. Right. So they started hooking us up with different stuff. They were the ones who were bringing us to the radio stations and putting us in the bigger studios. Mm -hmm. um, that was the same time that Erica was coming up. Um, it was my group, which was a pattern man. Okay. Um, Headcrack's group, Headcrack from yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Ricky Smiley Morning Show. Yeah, yeah. Headcrack's group, which was Boondocks. Okay. Um, it was Erica and her cousin Free. They were called Erica Free at the time. Mm -hmm. And then another group called uh, Shabazz Three, which was Ty Macklin, Fats, and uh, Bobby. Uh, Fats is the cat that runs most of the big shows out in Deep Ellum right now to this day. Okay. Ty is the one that did like a lot of engineering and production for Erica's first album. All right. So we would all like link up together, click together, and do shows not only in the Metroplex, but go hit the road. We go hit okay. Austin, we go hit Houston, um, Waco, um, San Antonio, um, Oklahoma, uh, Mississippi. We just like do our own little pork chop circuit. Okay. And um, doing that, you get experience when you're right. in the mix like that. I started getting into studio engineering. Uh, a brother by the name of Marty Ardondo out in Fort Worth had a studio called Max Tracks. And he had all the equipment, but didn't have an engineer. Mm. So, I go in there one day with um, uh, Picasso and James. At the time, they had a group called Dysfunctional. Uh, Picasso is still out doing his thing right now. He was with uh, PPT, the group that won the uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, competition a few years back. Uh, it was uh, Picasso, um, Picnic, and Tahiti. They were like real hot for like a year and a half because right. they were getting all that pub from the Dallas Observer and, and right, uh, Mavericks. Right. And then James Shepard, who runs the uh, Eargasm record chain, yeah, they had a group called Dysfunction. Right. So we go into the studio one day and the dude is like, look, I'll give you free studio time for the pub, but you got to supply your own engineer because I don't have an engineer. Uh -huh. So they looked at me and they were like, you think you could work this equipment? And I was like, give me a couple of days, I'll figure it out. Right. They literally locked me in the studio for four days with nothing but the brochures and the equipment. And I sat there for four days and taught myself how to studio engineer. I've been studio engineering ever since. That's <laughs> like, how it go. Real shit. Yeah. That's how it go. Get in there and learn. So once I had that under my belt, once right. I was able to produce, uh -huh. engineer, it was time to start conquering the next phase, which was getting the music out there. Okay. Now see back then it was a little bit different. Right. Because didn't have YouTube, you didn't have the internet. You just basically it was blanket promotion, streets. Oh, we had the internet back then, but it wasn't like this. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You remember back then you remember we had you know you had yeah, to pay to go to It yeah. was still it was still it was still uh what 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 they call that? It was uh uh real real player, uh it wasn't MP threes, it was it was it, some other form that it was, was like yeah, it, was it sounded like AM radio. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause dude, the uh the um, internet radio station that Mark Cuban made all his money off of, the, uh -huh. the company, they had a uh, they had a uh, internet radio show at the time. Uh, Bobby was running it, and we went and did the show a couple of times, but never thought nothing of it. Right. And like about a year and a half later, he sold it for like what twenty two billion or something like that. It yeah. was crazy. Like we didn't we didn't recognize for what it was back then because we were so systemized and used to thinking a specific way when right. it came to. If you weren't getting played on K104, if you weren't getting played on 100.3, if you weren't getting played on 97.9, you know, if you weren't getting your stuff on Rap City and things of that nature, you weren't doing it. You weren't doing it. So that's what we were inspired. That's what we were right. aspiring to. We were trying to get to that level. All right. So me and Headcrack went and got jobs with Polygram. Polygram had a, a big distribution center down here. Mm -hmm. 
and we got jobs with TJ Miller. Okay. And he put us on, had us out doing street promotions and picking up artists and getting them set up with their shows and all kinds of other stuff. And then they hired um, Shannon Henderson. Shannon Henderson was Puffy's personal assistant. Okay. They brought her down to Dallas and she was the one who basically gave me a head crack the game. Because mm. I invited her to a studio session one day and when she came in, she looked at it and she was like, damn, Puffy don't even do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? He was like, she was like, you do everything. And I was like, so does he? She was like, no, he don't. I'm like, what do you mean? She was like, he's a producer. And I'm like, I'm a producer. Right. And she was like, no. Right. He's a producer. You're a producer. And I'm like, what does that mean? He was like, a producer is the person that comes in, has the vision, organizes the project, and makes sure that everything moves to the working parts. Right. Your ass sits up in here, and you are the moving part. Right. I, I was like, mind blown by that point. I was like, oh, okay, well, mm -hmm. well, that means that I'm one up in the game then. Because I could just take the thought process of my hands on and then put my brain power to the stuff that I've learned and put stuff out. Right. So at that point, I grabbed up all the little groups that I was fucking with mm -hmm. and I put together mixtapes. Because okay. I had a, I had a connection through Cap at the Bomb over at Big T. Yeah, Cap he would buy, bomb, yeah. He, yeah, he would buy my masters mm -hmm. and then put them out. You know okay. what I'm saying? So he bought my master for seventy-five dollars. Okay. At the time, I was like, "That's cool." Right. What right. I didn't realize what was happening <clears throat> was he was buying my master for seventy-five dollars, pressing up like a thousand copies of it and selling it all over Texas. So I had mm -hmm. my groups all over these mixtapes. Right. And not realizing that I was bubbling. Right. You know, people were knowing who I was. Getting that buzz. So we were keeping on grinding, keeping on grinding. Back in '98, I had a uh, artist named Jalo. Okay. And um, the music that we were making was of our own design. It wasn't necessarily East Coast, it wasn't necessarily West Coast, it wasn't necessarily Southern, it was just our own little gumbo, what we were doing. Right, just music. Right, but we got tired of always having to break in. We wanted something that was just going to pop. Right. So we sat up and we just brainstormed stuff that was gonna hit at the club that we were frequenting the most of the time, and it was a club called Midpoint out in Arlington. Okay. So we wanted to make something that was going to just instantly pop at Midpoint. So we made a song called that Where I'm From. Club. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We made a song called Where I'm From, and um, made it, took it to uh, DJ Wody, who was the main yeah. DJ there at the time. Yeah. DJ Wody. RIP. Shout out to the whole fam, you know what I'm saying? RIP. You know how that goes. He was the main DJ at the time. Wody was like, this is fire. Right. So he started playing. Mm -hmm. From there, Dallas Long, who was just an overall around everything, he uh, he was rapping, one of the number one street hustles in our, in our city, the whole nine. He had a whole lot of connections over at uh, Peep and Tom's, which was a big mm -hmm. strip club at the time. Mm -hmm. He took it to Peep and Tom's. Right. The girls at Peep and Tom's liked it. They started dancing to it. Then Coco Butter heard it from, uh -oh, from K104. Yeah. He took it to Battle of the Beats. It beat out Pookie and Lucci's record on Battle of the Beats. Mm -hmm. So by that point in time, Rado yeah, because man. because because basically now K104, there are 37 stations that program from K104. So okay. if K104 adds you to rotation, you're automatically added to the rotation of right. 34 more stations. Right. So we went from being citywide to being whole Southwest region, literally right. in like three weeks. We had record labels beating down our door. We had uh, distributors uh, trying to get the, the, C the CDs, the whole nine, right. like in a matter of a month. And 
the learning curve on that is interesting because you kind of you know learn right, as you yeah, go. You learn as you go. You ain't but you're just making music. You but know what I'm saying? we took it from we took it literally from the studio to the club to national in six months with no record label, right? No real budget, right? No real push. You know what I'm saying? Everybody, we always talk about, man, the only way you're going to get on K104 is if you pay this and do that. We never gave K104 a dime. Okay. We never gave 97.9 <laughs> a dime. We took it directly to the streets. The streets was like, we want this. And they had no choice but to roll with it. And that was what started the shift from doing just independent local stuff to actually dealing with labels and dealing okay. with artists and groups and things of that nature. So, so you've been producing for labels lately? Lately, yes and no. I'm back in the independent market Independent now. market, right. I'm still, I, I do work with uh, uh, Dirty Water, which is Little Ronnie and all them. Uh -huh. uh, CKB, which is uh, Fat Pimp and right. Trey Ward uh -huh. and all them. I do uh, stuff with uh, NBA. NBA. Yeah. Yep. So what it was like being a producer and having a label coming and just like really almost owning your work? Well, or was it like that for you? Actually, I had a couple of different situations. The first one was the label coming, picking you up as a producer, okay. assigning you their groups. And once they do that, depending on how you negotiate it, is what you get out of it. Right. You know, at that time it was basically some upfront money and a point share. Okay. But the destiny of the music is up to the label. Mm -hmm. And what you do is up to the label. Like, so say for instance, I'm signed with Universal, mm -hmm. which I was at the time. Okay. And I've got three groups that I'm producing for. Mm -hmm. I have to clear it with Universal before Correct. I could allow them to put anything out, mm -hmm. if they want to put my name on it. Because right. I, I did a lot of stuff for my people at the time to where I just didn't put my name on it to prevent it from being a problem. Right. So it was like, okay, here's the track, you know, it is what it is, they gave me the money for it, I was good. Now, there's an offshoot of that. When you start getting a sales record, it changes the dynamics of your contract. A lot of times in your contract, there's a clause saying that if you have a sales record of this amount, or if you sell this amount, you can instantly go back into renegotiation for your right. contract. Right. Composition club. Right. So, I hit that mark mm -hmm. and instantly went back in and renegotiated everything down to where I had more control and then I was able to negotiate a and d deal okay. to where I was able to start bringing in other groups and doing my own thing right. with more. Uh, Daryl Allenby, 2000 Watts Music. Okay. He was the one that walked me into that. Okay. He did Silk, uh, Lauren Hill, Nas, um, LL Cool J, Allure. Um, he was doing dang near the whole track masters catalog oh, yeah. from 97 to 2005, 2006. Oh, that was my heat coming yeah. out too yeah. then. Yeah. Still could have took a break and then came out with a fire one. Yeah. And that was all him. That was yeah. all that was all Daryl. That was all him. <laughs> so have you ever what about publishing it? Have you ever got any publishing royalties and Instead, you started getting publishing royalties. I got audited over that. Mm. See, okay, nobody told me. You, you, you got a kid that's going from getting a paycheck from a job. Right, right. Where they take out your social security tax, right. the whole nine. Uh -huh. To a kid that's getting a big ass chunk of change uh -huh. in a check and being like, bet, just throwing it directly in the bank. Right. Come on, man, you can't put more than $10,000 in the bank without it flagging. 
Right. And then even deeper than that, the right. record labels don't send you a they don't, they don't send you a royalty check with the taxes taken out. You gotta do that on your own. Yeah, do that on your so own. So I'm throwing these checks in and doing this and doing that, doing right. that thing, you know. Hey, I'm oh, like, it's, it's that adding up. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, nah. For everybody out there, study that. Cause the IRS don't play hmm. at all. Oh no, 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 IRS don't play. You know what IRS I'm saying? don't play. But it, it's just a quick nowadays, it's a quick call. Get the, yeah. get it set up, you know yeah. what I'm saying? What about like so what um uh company you with far as um registering your music, BMI, ASCAP, ASCAP. 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 How long you been with ASCAP? I've been with ASCAP since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. in the beginning. A lot of people at that time frame were going to BMI because yeah. they were working more for the independent artists. Right. But right. I always foresaw an issue with that. Like I right. was always like, eh, you know, I could do that, but that's not what my goal is for the long term. Right. Because I was always shooting for something different. So I just right. went directly with them. Right. And they've always worked out really well for me. All right. I ain't, I don't really have any complaints to ask them. So is you is you familiar with um let's say um split sheets? Mm -hmm. So you understand, so you already know about who gets what, artists, whatever. Well, I know how it went for, you know, my split sheets, but like, from what I understand, there's like different variations depending on, you know, what you're doing and what right. the project is and things right. like that. Like if it's co-producing right. and all or that. Or if it's a work for hire, work for hire. Or, you know, stuff yeah. like that. It yeah. depends on the contract. And speaking of work for hire, that's another thing that a lot of, a lot of producers don't understand as far as when they're doing catalogs. Right. I had um, DreamWorks. Um, come to me. Mm -hmm. It was a time frame where I was a little bit low on money and uh, we were doing a lot of stuff like well actually Headcrack was doing a lot of stuff with uh, media. Okay. You know, he had gotten involved with uh, 979. He was on the radio every night with uh, uh, it was the Headcrack Super Can keynote show. Uh -huh. And they were doing a lot of stuff as far as like commercials overdubs, voice dubs, movies, television shows, stuff like that. Right. So he had gotten some connections with DreamWorks. He hooked me up with the guy and the guy basically was like, I want to buy a catalog from you for placement use. Okay. I didn't even know what that meant at the time. Right, right, right. So I rounded up all the stuff that I figured nobody would rap to. Because at the time, my brain hadn't processed that there's different facets of the music industry as a producer. Right, right. I was just thinking that I make a beat, it goes to a rapper. I make a beat, it goes to a singer. Right. Somebody calls me for this. I didn't know about, you know, commercials, movies, uh, video games. I didn't know about yeah. any of that. Steam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah tell you, send, you, send me a Steam. Right. <laughs> so I put 14 beats together in the catalog. Right. And it was a work for hire situation. They wrote me out a check. I was happy with that check at the time, but at that point, it was all theirs. They could do whatever they right. wanted with it. Oh, so they got exclusive. What I didn't realize was, as long as it's within the realm of a movie, mm -hmm. television show, or the clincher soundtrack, mm -hmm. they could do whatever they want to with it. Man, I was hearing my shit popping up on movie soundtracks, commercials, hit singles, Right. I'm not even gonna go into the stuff that's mine. That's right. not mine. Right, right. But the irony of it is, the work look, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm gonna tell young producers this right now. The irony of it is, the biggest works I have ever done in my career, 
I don't get any credit mm -hmm. because of that. Mm -hmm. So just imagine you produced Jay Z's last album, right? And everybody in the world is jamming to it, but your name ain't nowhere on the credit. credit. You ain't getting a royalty check for it. Yeah, man. I, I, but I think that's why the game is reversing like it is now. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of people doing it independently. And then a lot of people who are doing it independently still don't understand. Like, it's a business. Yep. Like, it's, it's a, it's a full-out business. Even though this is your passion, this is what you love to do, but it's a business. Like, uh, like me and my artists, like, we go through the struggle every day. We sit here, but like we say, we do our own ASCAP, we do our own sound exchange, right. we do our own pub, uh, publishing distribution. Uh, through TuneCore or whoever we feel like at the time who we want to distribute through, you know what I'm saying, that's giving us something right. with, uh, you know, that's publishing something that's incredible for us or something like that. It's like, it's all a business. Yep. It's like, you know, you got to cross, cross your T's and dot your I's, man. Yeah, when it comes to the, when it comes to the foundation work of what you do, you do have to be very thorough with it. Right. And then at the same time, you also have to have a thought process of where you want to go right you know a lot of people don't look at the big picture of what it is that they're doing mm -hmm. we're so busy caught up in the steps to get there right. that you kind of lose focus on how big it could actually be um when i first got into the print industry when i started doing graphics and design okay. um it was out of necessity because i didn't want to pay anybody else to do my covers because A, they were charging me too much, and B, they weren't sticking to my schedules. Right. Um, another thing I'm gonna get into later was when I got into the mixtape game. But um, when you're in the mi during the mixtape game heyday, it was all via deadline. Because mm -hmm. the way that we would do it is we would get that one hot joint that nobody had heard yet, and we had to rush to get it out into the streets before some other DJ got us. Right. So if I get that hot joint, because at that time. I was high enough to where the record labels were calling me directly and being like, we've got this. Email it to me. I listen to it. Boom. It's got to hit the streets now. I call somebody to do my album cover and they take three weeks. I've already been scooped. There's been two other DJs that have dropped since then. I don't have time for that. So I started doing my own graphics and I got really good at it. Right. So I was like, okay, cool. Another income stream. When I first started getting into that, I went into it on a level of trying to undercut my way in. Like, I'll do the same thing that this person is doing for less money and faster. And it got me in the door, but it was spinning my wheels. Right. And it took another graphic design guy that had a successful company in Tanner County mm -hmm. to be like, you're messing up. You're charging for time. It takes you three hours. Mm -hmm. There's somebody that does everything. Right. So it's like, you can split it up. You can have a... Uh, 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 engineer and then a producer and then a graphic design because there, there there's a bunch of them out there right. and they've got a structured ecosystem mm -hmm. to where these people are branded and known for certain things so you actually get notoriety for messing with these people if you have this particular engineer his name holds weight if you right. have this producer his name holds weight if you have this artist doing your stuff his name holds weight mm -hmm. in Dallas there's really no organized structured ecosystem so because of that, we become right. moguls out of necessity. Right. We do everything, but at the same time, it adds to the talent pool because we look at things in a total 360 to where 
everybody else is just kind of one dimensional. Right. Like, like you take an artist from another market mm -hmm. and you stick them in the studio by themselves. What's gonna happen? They're gonna sit there and wait for everybody else to show up. You take a nigga from Dallas and stick him in the studio by himself and watch what happens. Nigga learn everything. Everything in that, that bitch. bitch. Because that's the way we were raised. Right. You know, you gotta right. get it done. Right. But see, the th that's the thing too, the lack, lack of structure. It's like a lot of people, I, 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 a lot of people don't want to think. That's that's one thing. That's, that's, that's one thing. Then a lot of people feel like people own something. And that's not everybody, but the majority of the people. You know what I'm saying? Because they feel like this stuff just fall out the sky. Yep. You know what I'm saying? The, the rap the rap fairy. Yeah. Yo, son, you gonna put me on, son? You gonna put me on? Yeah, like, it's like, it's like, man, come on, man. It, it's not even like that. Like, man, it's like, it's a real business. You know, I think that a lot of people don't understand the smoke and mirrors behind it. Can I bump one of those off you? Go ahead, man. Smoke and mirrors is the truth right. about the music. But the thing is, is they get wrapped up in the smoke and mirrors aspect of it, thinking that that's really what's going on. Like, they, they start... They start doing music and rapping because they want to partake in that fake lifestyle. Right. You know, everything they don't that, know is fake. They don't know it's fake. They, they don't really know it's don't. Fake. They don't. Half the stuff that you see portrayed on social media that you are holding on to like it's gospel is literally smoke and mirrors. They set the whole thing up. My brother Boogie broke me down with a scenario. <clears throat> you create your thought process of the way people look at you in increments of 30 seconds, 60 seconds, one minute, five minutes, or an hour. 30 seconds and 60 seconds are commercial. One minute is an interview, five minutes is an interview or a video. Mm -hmm. 30 minutes is a television show, hour is a movie. Now, the whole world thinks that they know every single celebrity based upon those increments of time. So the person that, that, that masters those increments of time masters his own personal destiny. And the successful ones do. But the downfall of that is that the people who are looking at these increments of time think that they know this person inside and out based upon those increments of time. So if you're a youngster that's looking at this, right. you think you really know what's going on. Think about how many people went to go see 8 Mile and thought that they had the blueprint to turn into a battle rapper slash popular cat based upon what they saw everybody at that time thought they were battle rapper think about how many people went to go see hustle and flow and thought that you could go get a regular handheld microphone a beat up drum machine go to your backyard With and go get the go, and go get the chick that you were pimping to sing on it <laughs> right. and just go take it to the radio station right and you were going to blow up it don't work like don't that. work like that but that's the smoking marriage Man, you, you got people who still think certain actors is that certain actor. You see, bro, man, that's bro, man. You know what I'm saying? Right. Nah, man, that's a man. That man got a whole nother life, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? You you see Eddie Griffin, you you either think of Beverly Hills Cops or goddamn me, uh, Doctor Doolittle. Right. You're like, nah, man, that yeah, man right. got a whole nother right. life. But like I always tell the youngsters, um, I'm generations deep in this, and a lot of people who y'all are jamming right now and y'all look at as staples in this city came up underneath of me you know um i always tell them that if you're not in this because you legitimately love music if you're in this for the money if you're in it for the notoriety if you're in it for anything other than the fact that you legitimately love this fucking music right stop 
go do something else. You can make more money and you can get more notoriety because there is a lot of hard work. A lawyer. You're going to work harder. You're going to work harder being an artist than you work being a doctor or being a lawyer. And even deeper than that, all the time that you put behind the schooling and the things that you have to do to be those, you're guaranteed to get something out of it. You ain't guaranteed shit in the entertainment industry. Unless you're a CEO, or you the distribution company, right? Or you the outlets, right? If you the outlets, that's you know what I'm saying. Right. But uh, you ain't gonna understand it. But if you truly love it, that's what you do. You know what I'm saying. And then if you go, if that if that gets you somewhere, if that does bring in money for you, invest it into something that's gonna be stable. You gotta have some type of concrete, some type of boundary, because you know if you don't, you just gonna be like I say, smoking mirrors. Yep. Smoking mirrors, you're gonna be right there when that camera come on. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. That's how they, I mean, I see it. I'd have, I'd have been around a lot, you know what I'm saying? And, and it's funny because now everything is fake reality based. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's based on reality, but people understand that it's based off of reality, so what they do is they embellish that reality. Right. You know, and, and you know, it started with the reality show. You know, everybody thinking that basically you walk into a room, you turn on a camera, and you record everything that's going on. Reality shows are scripted, they're set up, you know. So when you're seeing these things, they've already been pre-thought of. There's a production team that puts it together, you know, the whole nine. Well, people try and emulate that also. And they try and basically act a fool in order to get notoriety. Yeah. And sometimes that works. Yeah. But more often than not, it doesn't, and they're stuck. You know, looking like stuck with that image. There's a lot of different facets to the game if you choose to go that route. Like right. if you think that you're gonna stick in one position, like I'm only gonna be a producer, then fine. I'm only gonna be a DJ, then fine. But if you're gonna be one of those 360 artists that mm -hmm. does everything, you have to understand every single facet of this industry before you move forward. Right. Because something is gonna hit you out of left field. My father used to always tell me, don't ever pay anybody for something that you don't know how to do. Only pay somebody something for something that you don't have time to do. Right. So you gotta learn it. So right. you know whether or not the person who you paying is fucking you or even doing it right. 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 So I, mean, I had a problem talking to one of my partners about that, about, you know, people getting this publishing and this and this and that, you know what I'm saying? It was just like and if he wasn't necessarily trying to fuck you, just at the same time, you know, you gotta know them things, man. You say these percentages and all this stuff, when it get documented, man, it's in there. I, I live my life based upon other people's horror stories. The first real person that ever took any interest in my music when I was very young was the lead singer of War, Howard Scott. Okay. I went to school with his daughter. Mm. And um, she would always go home talking about the guys at her school that rap at the lunch table and, you know, got the little demos floating around and stuff like that. I was at Guitar Center one day playing with a W30, and um, he heard the drum beats that I was making. And he walked up, he was like, oh, young man, you're pretty good. You know, how long you been doing this? Right. And I broke down, you know, how long I've been doing it, who I was. He was like, oh, you know, my daughter, Ebony. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. she told me that her dad was, you know, in the music industry. I didn't know who it was. Right. I'll never forget the first time he ever popped over my house, my mother almost had a heart attack. She was a huge war fan. So. She had heard about me, you know, She, I, we, we did all the recording in my room at the house. I turned my closet into a little makeshift uh, booth. Right. And I got a uh, Tascam 4-track. Oh, Tascam. So I had, I had, I had Tascam 4-track, 
an ASR 10, mm -hmm. two turntables, and a regular microphone. I had everybody come to the house and record and do a little demo. Right. So he wanted to come by the house and check us out one day. So he comes knocking on the door, mom answers the door, and she's like, Hi. He's like, hey, how are you doing? You know, I'm Howard Scott. Oh, I know who you are. Yeah. From that day on, my mother was kind of like, okay, all right, I see you doing it. You right, know what I'm saying? Because right. I just had somebody famous come to that. Right, right. But he was in the middle of going through an insane lawsuit at the time. Mm. Basically, he didn't own the rights to any of his music. He didn't even own the rights to the name War. When, when the lawsuit was over, they had to choose between whether they got to keep the name War or whether they got the royalties behind War. Shit. They chose the royalties. And the <laughs> record label, no, the record label went and put an entirely different group of people together, yeah, called them War, yeah. and had them out performing on the road right. the catalog that they were able to keep. Damn right. Damn right. Yep. That's why I would have kept the name. Keep the royalty you got right now because you know the reason why he chose the royalties. Mm. He spent two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for lawyers on the lawsuit. Mm. Yeah. Lawsuits aren't free, bro. No. And no. even deeper than that, the one thing you find when you start getting into these lawsuits is these record labels got better lawyers than us. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you gotta realize they they lawyers they they were well knitted, as we say, well knitted. You know what I'm saying, like, <coughs> but that's why it's like better off independent. You know, what and, I mean? and that's what he did. He went back. Um, he had, he still had all of his connections, all of right. everything. Right. Um, he still had his name, mm -hmm. Howard Scott. So what he did was he broke it down and like did a print, mm -hmm. Howard Scott from the group world. Right. And right. started producing younger artists and. You know, selling off the catalog to be sampled and stuff like that's why. That's why, like in the late '90s, you heard a big surgence of people sampling Cisco Kid mm -hmm. and um, all the other songs that he had right. for. You know, especially on the West Coast, you right? Know, everybody was sampling that. Yeah, everybody was doing Cisco Kid. Yeah, right. he 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 did that, and he got he Red got paid. Man, method, yeah. He got paid off all that. That's right. how that's how he got out from under all that. Yeah. You know, and he had me. Programming drums for a lot of that stuff. Like he would bring me in and I'd program the drums, he'd arrange it and stuff like that. I learned a lot from that dude. Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from him. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was what introduced me to the treachery of the drums. Right. And see, not everybody has that intro. Um, you hear the stories. Well, it'd be mainly everybody besides the the CEO. You know what I'm saying? If he ain't the CEO, it's just like really it's like the artists always have that. That hard time, not saying it ain't been the artists that made certain seconds. breakthroughs, you know what I'm saying? But they always had that hard time, but say, we still gonna come back with Peanut, you know what I'm saying? We gonna come back with Lit and some more motherfucking info for you, mother. And we back, you know what I'm saying? So, Peanut, like, I wanna know, like, have you ever managed artists? Mm hmm. What is, what, what do you think it takes to manage artists? Tell me something that the artists like. Tell us something that the artists should know about having management. First and foremost. Or do they need it? Well, it depends. At the end of the day, yes. But okay. it doesn't necessarily have to be the form of an actual manager. There's a lot of different levels of management. Right. And there's a lot of different functions of managers. But it really depends on who you are as an artist what it is you want to do. And even deeper than that, 
the connections of the person who you were calling a manager. Now, say for instance you and I decide to start a rap group, put our music together, it's hot, but we're busy. We're either in the studio, we're doing shows, things of that nature. We need somebody that's going to run to the radio station, that's going to run down and do this, going to run down and do that, blah, 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 so on and so forth. A lot of people will get a person to do that and call that their manager. Right. Well, that isn't really a manager because that manager is in the same position as us. Right. They don't have any connections. They can't open up any doors. They have to do it from the mud just like us. Right. If you are an artist that's starting out, your best bet is to go and find someone who's already plugged in and can get you a step further than where you are. Right. You know, and that's the mistake that a lot of people make starting off. They get their cousin to be their manager. Or they right. get the, the the club promoter down the street to be their manager, you know, and things of that nature. Right. Like no 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 disrespect to that because I've seen situations where that's worked out real well because that person just so happens to be a hustler. Right, right. But you're shooting craps when you're doing that. Right. You know? A lot of times what a lot of people don't realize is, is that in the Metroplex there's really only three or four people that could really qualify and say that they're a manager. Right. There, there's a little only three or four people that could get you on the radio with just a phone call, that could get you out of the market with just a phone call, that just by attaching their company name to you, it brings you up a level. Right. But there's a lot of people in the Metroplex calling themselves managers. Yes. You know? Yes. A lot of people. And they be taking their money. Right. But I'm going to tell you what's even crazier than that. <laughs> Not only taking their money, but taking their career. Because yeah. you've seen the standard management contract. Yeah. Standard management contract is for a long time. Yeah. And it also encompasses the work that's done while you're with the management company. So say, for instance, you make an album and larger entities are interested in you. They have to buy that manager out before they can get to you. And sometimes those record labels don't want to fuck with that. Because that, ma that management dude can put whatever price tag he wants to on you. Right. Now, I've seen that situation happen, play out a lot of times. Situations where they go and they get a Ricky Dink manager that is only as big as the city. Uh -huh. They sign a three-year contract. Right. And they get a song that blows up. And Def Jam South will come knocking. Or... Uh, uh, Atlantic or Universal will come knocking and they want to pick him up directly and the manager is like well no you got to buy me out and he sticks a $50,000 price tag on it you ain't gonna spend $50,000 for a first time <coughs> before you even put the music out and they're gonna be like nah, I nah I'm good so then you're stuck there with that manager didn't nobody get no bread yep. you know back on the road but then at the same time you also need to learn how to differentiate between what is a manager and what is an agent? Right. What is a manager and what is a booking agent? Right. What is a manager and what is a personal assistant? Right. You know, there's there's different things and different functions that artists and groups need that don't fall underneath the management. Right. It falls underneath something else that people think is the manager's right. job. Right. And then they have the managers out here thinking that they are management managers, booking agents, they you know, promoters, right. they you know right. And they out there doing all this right. stuff, and then they just like, and then they trying to get a chunk of the pie too. Right. So it's just like, I don't know. My personal suggestion, what I've seen that works the best, is you create your company with a team. Mm -hmm. 
you have a team of people that have a position and a job, mm-hmm. and that's their that's their job. Right. And it leaves it open to where when you start expanding, you have a structure mm-hmm. that can be picked up by somebody, or right. that can be plugged into by somebody, and you don't have to worry about all that mess. Right. And then on top of that, you're a self-sufficient organism to damn self. Right. Which means that even if you don't want to mess with nobody big, you just keep growing, growing, growing and getting that bread and it's a company, it's a regular company. Right, right. So everybody gets a paycheck. Right. Boy, so you know, sometimes it's hard to get people to work at that machine too. You got That's everybody true. who want to be rappers. That's true. Or, you know, everybody who don't know what the play, what they parts really. That's true. Because a lot of people really be, like I said, I've seen a lot of people trying to be rappers, singers, whatever. And also have another talent. Like, I know people who can really talk and get you into clubs that really know DJs, that I know people who really know how to promote, that really know how to get out there and put your stuff out there, but they, nah. Well, I mean, that's what happened to me. Um, truth be told, I'd rather just sit up in the studio all day. Right. I wouldn't even leave. I wouldn't hit the streets, wouldn't talk to nobody. I'm antisocial, even though people don't know it because I'm always out in people's faces. Right. But I'm a hermit. I don't like messing with people. I don't right. like being out of clubs. I don't like doing any of that stuff. I don't like being in a room with more than 50 people in it. I get paranoid. <laughs> Straight up. Is you a Pisces or something? I know, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> yeah, I get paranoid. <laughs> but but yeah. I'm good at it. Right. And right. that was the thing. It was like I had a lot of people looking towards me for stuff. Right. And I didn't take that lightly. Right. And it was a situation where it was like, well, Peanut, you can do it. You know how to do it, blah, 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 so on and so forth. Right. So I had to get my ass up out the studio. I had right. to get my ass out in the streets. I had to go out and do that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, it was a wonderful experience. I learned a so lot. So that means you had to really just stop the production. The and, for a long, and for a long time, I did. Right. You and I had a conversation earlier. We were talking about your equipment and programs. Right. Let me explain to you the story behind that. When everything ended with the Jalo project, Universal, with Red Rum, with everything that was going on. That Red time, Rum? Yeah. Wait a minute. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, okay. I know Red Rum. Right. You know they, they flavor used to blast them like. Well, this is Red Rum was responsible for what we had going on with Universal. Right. Once again, James Shepard right. from Experience Music. He was basically the director of operations over at Red Rum. Okay. He was the one that was bringing in all the artists. He was doing all the business the whole nine. He's an amazing businessman. Okay. And me and him grew up together. Um, we used to have a magazine back in the day called Starving Magazine. Okay. We ran it for two years. It was like one of the only local publications. We were the first ones to have Outcasts on the cover. We were the first ones to have Biggie Smalls and Craig Mack on the cover. You know, we were doing a lot of big stuff, but the people who were putting the money behind it couldn't figure out what they wanted to do, and they split. Mm-hmm. One group went one way, the other group went the other way. Right. I stayed with the group that went with James. Right. You know what I'm saying? And James went into promotions and management and things of that nature. So when I got Jalo popping, of course it was natural. He was like, look, I got this going on with Red Rum. What we'll do is we'll put the money behind it and back it and use our connections, put it through and do this, is that, and the other with it. Just cut us in for a chunk when it gets picked up. Right. That's basically what happened. Mm-hmm. But um, after all that, you know, I was kind of burnt out. Right. You know, just everything that had happened, I was kind of burnt out. And I was looking for something different. Well, like I said, I started out DJing. Right. And um, at the time, the mixtape game was starting to pop up. Uh-huh. Uh, DJ RPM, him and I grew up together also. Okay, DJ RPM, shout uh, out. He, uh, 
already was big in the mixtape game. He was distributing in New York, in Atlanta. Right, then he Cal started off with uh, <coughs> with, with the big ear, with uh, with the big diamonds in his ear, uh, Cameron. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. So he was already in the mix. Yeah. So me and him was sitting down one day chopping it up. He was like, "Man, why don't you stop doing mixtape?" And I was like, "Man." Oh, nigga, I'm making bank off this shit. Yeah. I'm like, for real? How much you making? <laughs> nigga, I'm making bank. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay, well, fuck it. So, go to the house. And it was the same thing that I had done back when I was messing with Cap. Right. I grabbed all the people who I was working with at the time, and I had them record flows over songs that were already popular. Right. I mixed those in with other songs, and I put together these double discs. It was a... Disc one, which is the regular, and then disc two, which is the chop and screw version. Okay. I package it up, make about 100, 200 copies. And at first, I was selling them on the streets. Like, literally, I would post up at the fucking gas station. Yeah. The Fina over there off of Northwest Highway. I'd yeah. be over at the racetrack Man, over. Yeah. yeah, I'd be over at the racetrack over off of Green Oaks. Yeah. I'd be over at, uh, over at uh, uh, Fuel City. Yeah. I'd be downtown in Deep Ellum, just, yeah. you know, slinging them out. Yeah. And what tripped me out was that they were moving. Yeah. It, I, I, look, man, it got so bad that I'd go pick up a girl for a date. Right. I ain't had no money. And they'd be home. It's like, pull up to the gas station, pretend like I'm getting gas. Right. Run up to the front of the store for like about 10, 15 minutes, then a quick hundred dollars, come back, go the rest of the day. Yeah, That's yeah. how fast they were yeah. moving back then. Because everybody about that knocking their system then, you know what I'm right. saying? Everybody putting their system in your car then. Right. Then screens. So then, my brother Boogie started getting into it at the same time. So me and him linked up and we started going out to Trader's Village. And started knocking off scenes out of Trader's Village. That took us to another level because we had access to more money. All right. We were making like three, four G's a weekend out of Trader's Village for CDs. Right. Then through the week, I was hitting the streets making another G or so. So I'm making more money fluidly than I was in chunks producing. Right. So I was like, shit, I'm good. You know, so I'm do this. <laughs> right, right. So when I was doing Jalo's project, there was an artist, a little young cat that used to work at Eargasm. Um, he was calling himself TB at the time. No, 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 listen, listen. This is an interesting story. He called himself TB at the time. He came to me, he was like, I want to be a rapper. Uh -huh. And I was like, I. He was like, you take me to the studio. Yeah, I'll take you. Took him over to my studio. We recorded this song. The song was terrible. Everybody, like, look, I kid you not, I argued with about 20 people over the fact that I did that song for him. I mean, this, this changed his name to Teflon. Teflon, Teflon Don. Teflon, the boot Teflon. Yeah, okay. So what he did was he changed his name to Teflon. He started DJing also. Also started like picking up little youngsters that were popular in the area, having them do features on his songs the whole nine. He probably had a song called The Boot that blew up. Okay. So. At that time, I reached out to him because he was doing something that none of us were doing. He was doing distribution with stores. Mm -hmm. Like, he had a list of all the mom-and-pop stores oh, in, in, in Texas. Fuck the Metroplex, in Texas. Mm -hmm. And he came, picked me up one day, and he just showed me the whole game. He was going up, talking to the people, introduced me to the managers, the whole nine. So I flipped my game. I went out and started getting more equipment, and I started manufacturing for the stores. And that took me to another level. Right. So I'm, I'm going from moving about 200 units a week to moving 2,000 units a week. Right. And the mixtape spreading out and everybody knowing not only my name, but the names of the artists that I put on it. Right. And the movement. Um, Ticketmaster, 
he started out with me. Okay. DJ D Real, he started D out with Real. me. Shout I out. started out with uh, G Rock. G Rock. You know what I'm saying? Shout we were all underneath the Texas yeah. Trill DJs. Right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, DJ Frosty started yeah, DJ out with Frosty, me. All of us, yeah. all of us, we at the time we were all just basically a group of DJs that were realizing right. that we were in control. We had power. We could make money now. Right. So, I'm so busy making mixtapes. The only time I was really producing and engineering was when it had something to do with one of my mixtapes. Did that for shit. I did that for damn near eight years. Right. You know what I'm saying? We were making big paper. Well, of course, you know, when streams start coming out and MP3s and everybody starts downloading, it changes the game. It takes it and you have to put it on a, uh, a digital platform now. Right. You can't just press up CDs and think you're going to make the same amount of money. Right, right. It's all about branding at this point to where right. you get with the artists that you're dealing with. You have them give you money for the pub because you got a name. You put a mixtape out, you guarantee you're going to get about 10,000 downloads. This is a new artist that doesn't have any pub yet. Mm. Shoots you a couple of dollars for you to break his stuff on the mixtape, and that's how you make your bread now instead of making it directly off the sale. Mm. So when the platform changed and it became more digital, it also expanded the things that you can do. As a producer, yeah. now you can put your stuff on YouTube and SoundCloud, and if you set your stuff up correctly, you're gonna get paid off the hits that come to your YouTube of people that are just wanting to listen. I mean, dude, this is the beauty of it. Even if they don't rap to your stuff, or even if they don't, just by them clicking on it to check it out and see if they like it or not, you get a hit. Yeah. This cats out there like uh, uh, Panacho, every time they put a beat out, they get like 2.5 million hits on the beat, whether people like it or not, because people are looking to see right. if it's the next hot joint. Right. They getting paid for that. Right. Not to mention they get paid when they sell it. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at it like, shoot, man, this is a giant paycheck waiting to get cash. Right, so right. I so I hopped my ass back into the studio and started right. doing more production and more engineering and things of that nature because I wanted to cash that check. But the wonderful, <laughs> the, the weird part about it was it was a learning curve because yeah. I go from a foundation of outboard, ASR tens, MPCs, SB twelve hundreds. Kurzweil K2500s, W30s, different components right, that right. you MIDI together to create one sound. Mm. You're actually playing it in real time. Right. To go into a laptop and the keys and being like, okay, I got to program now and drag and click and you know, this is that and the other. Now, it messes off your groove when you come from that, but at the same time, you got more stuff that you can do now. Right, right. Like if you could think it, you could do it. You can do it. You can do it. Whatever you think, you can yeah. do it. And that's the thing. I mean, that and that's 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 elevation. You know what I'm saying? But now you know, and too, like I say, too, the game too. They still cater for people that comes from like, um, like you say, SP 1200s mm -hmm. and everything like that. You know, they they got stuff for that. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like me, if you see, I, I got the car back there, like the NPC. Yo, man, this cat setup is sick. <laughs> this cat setup is sick, yo. Man, say like, I'll be I'll be trying. You know what I'm saying? But it like I I tell like I tell everybody though. Long as you got, the, like you say, you got the love for it, you know what you're doing, man. You can accomplish anything, man. Yeah. It was special any program these days. I mean, just think about it, man. Back then, we used to have a big old computer screens, mm. fat square screens. You know what I'm saying? With little programs on there. Used to have a little MIDI like that and shit like that. You remember the Triton used to yep. come with where you have to yep. when you make the beat on the Triton and you have to go to the other page and try to lay your beat out. On the ASR10, you used to have to chop your samples by numbers. Mm -hmm. You would like load it in and you had 
depending on how many uh, megs of RAM you had in your ASR10, right. you had anywhere from six seconds to 16 seconds to sample something. Right. If you did it in stereo, it cut it in half. So right. you always sample in mono. And a lot of times what we do is we speed the record up as fast as possible, sample it fast, and then slow it down among the keys. Right. But when you want to chop it up, you weren't chopping it up by the way. Mm -hmm. You you had a starting number right. of the sample <laughs> and an ending number of the sample. Right. You had to knock those numbers down until you got the correct loop. Right. You right. couldn't even see what you were doing. You had right. to hear it. You had to feel hear it. it. Yeah. Like literally you had to feel the break. Right. You know what I'm saying? But the weird part about it is is that when you come from that foundation, you get used to feeling like, like a DJ. Like if you right. ask any DJ, mm -hmm. any DJ that is a turntable that cuts, right. you feel the groove of the record mm -hmm. and the cut that you're doing. You actually feel the word by the vibration of the turntable. Right. Then you turn around and you have a DJ controller, not a turntable. Right. You gotta figure out how to make that same sound, mm -hmm. but you're not feeling it. Right. But you can see it. Right. So you got to figure out how to switch your senses. Right. You know, it's like going blind. And <laughs> you're talking like Serato, you can see the. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. right, right, right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's throw, you know what I'm saying? But I, I couldn't get deep. Like, I ain't no DJ, but I done tried my little. Yeah. I mean, people like, man, you can do it. I be like, man, whatever, because you know these programs come out. But I'm like, nah, man, you got to leave that shit to the DJ, man. Right. But I know it's a hard task coming from vinyl and then. Going to like a CD, you know, when they got the CD DJs. Yeah, and now and I, I did that too. I did the CDJs for a while. The CDJs actually weren't that bad because right. I had the CDJ 1000s that had the turntable plate on it. Oh, okay. So okay. it was only a little bit of a learning curve from that. Right. But then when it went to full Serato, I did not DJ Serato until <laughs> it became industry standard. Like it got to the point where I couldn't show up to gigs anymore and not right. Serato. Right. I'm showing. I'm showing up to gigs with my my uh, turntable right. and three big ass books of CDs and the nigga who I'm DJing with shows up with a laptop and a damn card and I'm like oh man I need to quit being a damn senior citizen with this shit and get on board damn. but you know <laughs> no that's real that's real, real. that's real. real I mean what a nigga did there with them keyboards them niggas yeah. like man man fuck carrying yeah. big ass keyboards yeah. to the studio you yeah. gonna carry a big ass keyboard you gonna <laughs> carry your damn uh, USB drive right Come on, man. It's, like, it's, just, it's common sense. It's common sense. And see, a lot of people are scared of technology. Like, right. They're scared of change. My thing is this. If something comes out that makes your job easier, there is no shame in taking that shortcut. It doesn't diminish your talent. Right. It doesn't diminish your creativity. Mm. It just gives you an opportunity to make your creativity better. Right. You know, there's no reason why you have to dumb it down just because you have a different form of doing it. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I talk all this noise about the new technologies and things of that nature, but I love it. Yeah. I fucking love it. Yeah. I'm over at the crib programming, like reprogramming my programs and getting all this straight, this, that, and the other. I done gone to YouTube University, I'm clicking on it, looking at everything, and learning how to do this, and blah, 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 so on and so forth, and it's making my shit fire. What you know would be so fucked up is, when you get used to the technology, then you be trying to go back to that analog sound, and right. you're like, damn, or my, my analog shit, you know what I'm saying? But You know who's a master of that? Who that? Modicool. Modicool? Modicool. Modicool. Oh, Modicool was, me on. Yeah, okay. Modicool, uh, 
he basically produced damn near all of Erica's hits. Okay. He's uh, okay. out over on the other side of Deep Bellum right now. He's got a studio and a photography spot over there. Okay, Monaco. Bro, if you go in the Monaco studio right now, mm -hmm. it is the most amazing blend of analog and digital oh. that you've ever seen in your life. Because he has every single outboard component you could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. But the way he has them hooked up, they're all hooked into the computer. Right. And the sound he gets out of there is just plus mind blowing. Yeah. Mind blowing. That's the whole that's the Modicu, whole thing. Steve Paul. Um, yeah, Steve Paul, Deep Ellum. Yeah. I mess with Steve Paul. Steve Paul. I like him. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for, you know what I'm saying, some tech yep. techniques and you know that the distressor. Steve Paul <laughs> was the first studio I ever went to back when his studio was in Arlington. Okay. First person I ever recorded with. Okay. Um Ty Macklin from Alpha Omega Studios out in Fort Worth. Okay, I know of uh, Alpha Omega, but I don't know Ty though. Right, DJ Snake. DJ Snake, okay, yeah, shout out DJ Snake, that's, o, that's OG. Yeah, he is down. Yeah. These, uh -huh. these cats, these cats, their setups and their engineering techniques and their production techniques right. are literally the perfect blend of analog and digital. Right. And that's the reason why when you go to their studios and you get their stuff, the sound sounds so much different. It's just fat. Cause the analog on all, it's just something about the machines. It's, yep. just, it's already built like that. Yep. And all you do just, so you can just sit there all day and just, nigga, you, you hear that? Yeah. Nigga, look, nigga, watch this. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just the beauty of it. You know what I'm saying? And technology, you gotta find where it's at. And like, damn, and like, it don't really, well, it sounds like it, but it ain't, I don't, it ain't, you know what I'm saying? But once you start learning, start, if you, or if you've been messing with analog, like, Coming from analog like that, you'll kind of know how to do that yeah. technology. You'll kind of know the ins and outs and how to just boost it up. But um, so what you got going on right now? Right now we got the weed house popping. Okay. Out in uh, Grand Prairie. Right um, on. Uh, Shout out to the weed yeah. house. Thirty seconds. We're gonna talk more about the weed house right quick. Hold on. We got thirty seconds, but we're gonna cut out a little early because I want to talk about this weed house, man. What's a weed? The weed house, man. The, come on, it's like a compound, man. You know what I'm saying? We was talking about the weed. That is my, that's what I'm working on today. That's what we're doing. We, it's, it's basically a uh, combination of a lot of different people and movements. It's a uh, two, three media group um, uh, endeavor. What we did was um, we used to have a uh, uh, radio show back in the day called uh, WED 200.3, the highest station on the FM dial. And we broke a lot of music through there, and um, it was a uh, street platform. We would do DVDs and uh, CDs and uh, spread them out along with the mixtapes. Well, we decided we want to turn that into a uh, uh, digital streaming situation for the new age, and uh, we attached a studio to it. Um, a lot of different things. You know, there's going to be a lot coming from the Weed House in the next couple of years. Um, we're working with a lot of young artists. We're also still working with ourselves. You know, we're still doing Boogeyman. Still doing Dirty Red, still doing Rick Fontaine. Um, we got my godson, um, X Draco. Uh, we went down Shout and ripped out. it. Yeah, went down, ripped it at South by Southwest this weekend. Um, we got Nova, aka Casanova. Um, we got Sway Easy. Um, still working with all of the uh, same groups from uh, Campus Kings. You know what I'm saying? Still working right. with uh, Ronnie. Still working with Fat Pimp. You know, still right. working with Trey Ward. Still working with you know everybody in the. Uh, 
CKB family, uh, uh, Campus Kings family. Um, I'm still doing my graphics. Everybody knows CDs, covers, prints, all that. Come holler at your floor. Tell them where they can get it from. Um, come visit me on Instagram at uh, pdigital74 um, on Instagram and then uh, Twitter, djpeanut74. And then you can also get me at uh, uh, Stephen DJ Peanut Taylor on Facebook or just hit me up directly, pdigital817 at gmail.com. But Instagram is the best way to get it. I'm, I'm on there 24-7. You know that IG. Yeah, IG. Yeah, in fact, some of y'all watch me live right now. So. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? IG. You know what I'm talking about? That's what's moving right now, that IG. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, the IG movement right Yo, now. the, uh, which one calls it? Snapchat's a beast, too, though. Yeah, Snapchat's a beast. Snapchat's a beast. Yeah, yeah. Snapchat's a beast. I've been I up get... on that up live, too. Right. I don't know if you heard about that. That's some new little thing they got yeah. going on. You know, Frosty's overseas. on that. Uh, Frosty's on that right now. Okay. You know, because Frosty is overseas a lot. He's in Germany a lot. Right. He's in Japan a lot. You know what I'm saying? He's in uh, England a lot. So okay, I'm following you, Frosty. Yeah, DJ Frosty, yeah, 214. Okay. 214, um, yeah. He, uh, he does a lot. Of international stuff, so he comes back. He always lets me up a game when he gets back. Right. You know what I'm saying? He uh, always has a lot popping. Right. And um, you know, it's it's amazing. A, how many opportunities there are out there now. Right. For independence, and how much money there is out there now. For Ain't it though? And why we said that's my thing. It's so much out there. Why 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 it's so hard? <laughs> I'm gonna do it like this, just to give you an indication. I have not collected a paycheck from another company since 2002. I've made nothing but music money since 2002. And everybody knows me knows I live pretty well. So that's an indication of what you can do. Right. And I, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm right. just, you know what I'm saying? You come to Dallas and you say, you know, you know what Peanut is? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, Peanut, yeah. But on the overall scheme of things, I'm nothing, you know? You know, and I am putting a kid through college, Kid through high school, four cars, a household, and a company. Just based on being able to make moves in this industry. You know, don't ever let anybody tell you that it can't be done. You just have to look at it the correct way. You have to look at it like a business. Conduct yourself like it's a business. Make your moves like it's a business. Hold yourself to task. Get up at eight, nine o'clock in the morning and go to work for yourself the same way you would go to work for somebody else. And if you do that, you'll cash a check for yourself the same way you cash a check from somebody else. See, that go your answer. Wow! It's determination, motivation. And consistency. And consistency. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because everybody keeps searching for the answer, but it's like, it's basically, that's yeah, what it is. There is no magic answer. Right. A, you got to have some form of talent. I don't give a damn how many of these whack motherfuckers you see out here making it. There's somebody out there that thinks they're the truth. So that means that they have some form of talent. But if you notice, the one thing that gets them over is less about their talent and more about their determination and consistency. Yeah. You can hate on them all you want, but guaranteed you that whack nigga is out on the streets a half an hour before you are. And he goes to sleep a whole two hours after you do. So you can talk shit about him all you want to, but that nigga gonna keep whooping your talented ass. Yeah, yeah, that's just true, man. I mean, that's I see it every day, I've seen it multiple times, you know what I'm saying? Yep. So, like, right now, so is you gonna be focusing strictly on production, or are you gonna be doing full engineering and building your team? All of it. All of it. All of it. Doing okay. everything. Because see, okay, 
once you get older and you get to a certain point, you realize that, you know, delegation of tasks and teamwork is the most important thing. Right, right. A lot of times when it comes to the engineering, I'll come through and I'll lay down the framework and I'll have somebody else do the recording the whole nine and I'll come in and do the mix downs. Right, right. Really, honestly, one of the only, the, the only two things that I'm always 100% hands on about is the actual production. Okay. Because it's hard for me to convey what's in my head to someone else. Right. I got to get on there and knock it out. Right. And my graphics work. Okay. You know what I'm saying? I do all, I do all that 100% myself. Right. Everything else is a combination of me and other people. You know, so because right. you move faster. Right. You know, I can't, if, if I did everything by hand myself, all the things that I do through the course of a day, I wouldn't sleep, I wouldn't right. eat, I wouldn't have any time for anything. You know? <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. everybody that knows me knows I do a lot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like you go to my Instagram right now and it blow your mind the different advertisements and different things I have for, you know, I'm literally the one stop shop for the Metroplex. Anything you need done, call me. If I can't do it, I can hook you up with someone who can nine times out of ten more inexpensive than the next motherfucker that you're gonna go to. Right, right. right. That's just how that's how I make my bread. Right. I, I'm I'm the uh, the nigga in the '70s that had like all the chains and shit. <laughs> right, and, you right. know what I'm saying? Like, like say, well. say man, that mixtape. Man, I ain't looking for no mixtape. Man, I need to get some shoes. Oh. <laughs> exactly. I got you. Got you. Got you. So man, that's what's up, man. So like, what do you think about investing in, or like, what is your like five year goal from now? Like, where you see yourself? Right now, I'm investing in my kids. When okay. I see my kids, I mean my youngsters. Right. You know, uh, my daughter, um, she's just like me, very outgoing. And, you know, she had a lot of really good, cool, talented kids that she came up with. And, you know, my house was the center of activity for everything. Right. And as they've gotten older and seeing the possibilities of taking advantage of it, you know, like I mentioned X Draco earlier, he's doing his thing. You know what I'm saying? I'm behind him 100%. Right. Uh, my other youngster, uh, Brandon, um, bam, out in Fort Worth. Him and his team, they basically run the party scene out in Fort Worth right now. And I put behind them, you know, I'm still out here in my prime doing my right. thing. But I invest behind me because it's something that T.J. Miller taught me and it's, it's served me so many times. Me and, me and Crack used to be amazed at how much game TJ gave us right. and how much positioning he gave us. And one day we were out at lunch and we just straight up asked him, we were like, why are you the way that you are and everybody else is an asshole? Because up until that point, you know, the game is to be sold, not to be told. Right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right. That, I, 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 you, didn't nobody tell me. Why the hell am I tell you? Right. You have to get out there and earn it, youngster. Right. But then we get TJ and TJ is an open damn book, right. you know? And he said, because I might have to work for you one day. And we were like, what? He was like, I might have to work for you one day. He said, the industry changes every five years. And within those five year intervals, people go from kings to paupers, from paupers to kings. So I'm in the position I'm in right now, today, at this moment, and I'm signing your paycheck. Right. But when that five year change hits, you might be the man, and the way I treated you is how you gonna treat me later, and I might need to come to you for a job. Right. And that thought process has served me so much over the years. I can't tell you how many people that I've helped get on, put on, put in positions that right now are leaving me in the dust, but all it is is a phone call. Right. Ah, oh gee, I got you. Yeah, no, I got you. 
You know what I'm saying? You right. you, you you get out of it what you put in. Right. Straight up. That, boy, that's some gang. Man, that's gang right here on lit. You know, the straight gang. You know what I'm saying? Like, so TJ is more of somebody who you really inspired. You. Yeah, that was that was one of my mentors. Right. That's you know, like I said, I was blessed with some really heavy cats right. coming in. They really put me down on a lot of you know, because I always had the thought process of I can't learn more than somebody who's in the same position as me. Right. So I always went and sought out people that I viewed as having what I was looking for. So who inspired you to do production? Alicia E. Muhammad. Okay. Alicia Turn E. Muhammad. Um, Try Call Quest. Uh -huh. I'm from uh, I'm from Queens. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, right, the neighborhood in Queens that I come from, uh, Try Call Quest was popping. Of course, Run DMC because they were from Hollis. Um, uh, Large professor and main source. Um, I got a chance to chill with Alicia He one time, and I just thought he was the coolest nigga in the world. Right. Like for real, he was you know real laid back, real chill. But everybody deferred to him. Like not only was he the most chill cat in the room, but he was one of the most important cats in the room. Right. And I just remember thinking. I don't want all the. I don't want the cameras on me 24/7. I don't want it to where I go to the grocery store and I can't, you know, go shopping in peace. Yeah. People run up on me. Right. I don't want that, but I do want the clout. Right. I do want the power. That is definitely what I want. Right. I want to be the most important person in the world. Because yeah, your, I mean, your name I already ring bells. Right. They, they like who? The infamous with the, with the famous peanut. Yeah. You know. You, you know. know uh, Fed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my dude. Yeah, that's my boy that's right my there. Dude. Yeah, we just had him on the show. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And Fitty was like, I said, yeah, man, we had Peanut come. He was talking to him. He's like, yeah, we got Peanut come through. He's like, who was that? The infamous famous Peanut? Man. He's like, yeah. Like, yeah nah. Man. Fetty boy. Man, you already had him on here? Oh, man. Yeah, yeah so you already know this, man. Yeah. Fetty is, he a beast, bro. Yeah. He a beast. Yeah, man. I know, but I know Fetty from back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That, now, that is a story in consistency. Right, right, right. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fetty, yeah, Fetty stayed consistent, yeah. man. Like, man, because yeah. he did, man, chrome, rain. Yeah. Man, all, yeah. All through that mug. Yeah. yeah, 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 and we used to perform, yeah. man. We, uh, sometimes we didn't even perform. We just, we just kicked it. Like we come through the door, yep. support. You know what I'm saying? And just to be around that atmosphere, soaking up game. You know what I'm saying? I'm talking about all the way back to Palm Beach, yeah, Venice Beach, Venice Beach, and yep. uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying? All back yep. in the day. You know what I'm saying? So, <clears throat> so man, I, mean, I appreciate you coming out, man. I appreciate you having me, man. Man, they say, man, uh, I would love. To Work with you, do some stuff, man. man you know I'm gonna be over here. Man, you come over here. <laughs> yeah, say, hey, hey, you already, <laughs> you already. Know, I found man. my new hangout spot. Oh like, yeah, man. I walked in, I saw like, oh. Hey, that what Paulo said, ain't it? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, hold on, wait a minute. Time out. Yeah. Where am I at, real quick? So man, ain't nobody out there you want to get no shout outs to, anything you want to tell anybody before you get up out here? Um, definitely shout out to my family, Campus Kings, uh, CKB, Ricky Booker, um. Go check everybody out over at um, King of Diamonds. You know what I'm saying? That's there. Shout out. Uh, King of Diamonds is a fat pimp at CKB all day long. They run the whole oh, organization. Yeah. Um, shout out to the whole Weed House family. Uh, Sway Easy. Uh, Casanova Nova. What up, Cece? Got a shout out in there because she's my computer technician. What's up, Cece? Um, X Draco. Um, no, Bam. Man, everybody, out in the, uh, everybody out in the funk. Everybody in the ag. Uh, who else am I missing? Um, 
See if I if I if I break everybody down in the egg, I'm gonna miss somebody. They're gonna be mad. So Twist I'm just gonna say. You got, you got, you got, you got right. the, uh, OG, o, so, OG, uh, uh, what's the name, OG Percy. Yeah, so <laughs> if I mess with you, I'm giving you a shout out right now. And there's no slight, I just don't want to slight nobody about forgetting them, straight up. So that means the whole Metroplex. Right, man. right. Who else uh, on the uh, business side? Dirty Red, uh, Rick Fontaine, Boogeyman, um, Dallas Bree. Um, I do modeling endeavors also. Okay, okay. Dallas Bree is one of the models that I deal with. Just Google her. I ain't got to explain her. She on top. Just Google her. Google. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's about it. Shit, well, you already know how we doing on Lee. You know what I'm saying? We out this mother. Yeah. What's up, world? I'm here to introduce you to my boy, ex Draco. What's up? We'll let him do his thing for a second while I go and hit this blunt. <laughs> hey, what's up, y'all? Um, I'm a new artist, you know what I'm saying? I'm from Arlington, Texas. You know, I go to school in uh, Houston, Texas Southern University, you know what I'm saying? Shout out, you know what I'm saying? My boys made it to a tournament. You know what I'm saying? They lost to Xavier, though, you know what I'm saying? It's whatever. But, um, you know what I'm saying? I've been making music for about a month now. And um, I already uh, got a real good gig in Austin, you know what I'm saying? South by Southwest had a gig out there performing and stuff. I did my thing out there, made pretty good connections. So, um, <clears throat> I should go check out my uh, music on SoundCloud. You know what I'm saying? My uh, producer just dropped it uh, on there the other day. So, you know what I'm saying? Go ahead and uh, add my plays up, like it up, you know what I'm saying? That's it. Now, I don't know what's SoundCloud on the kitchen. X Draco? Um, SoundCloud, X Draco? I don't even know. Yeah, hit him. It's, uh, the sound, it's X Draco on SoundCloud. Just type in X Draco on yeah. SoundCloud. X space Draco, you know what I'm saying? Go to people. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It'll pop up right there. It's going to be a little gun. You'll see the logo. It's going to be tight. Thank you.